This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Professor Warthog here in the uh, Manly Warthog Man Cave. Uh, in the piney woods of north central Florida, our undisclosed location in the Melville Law Studio. Protected by crime prevention 24-7-365. Get yourself a doorbell camera, by golly, and then you can see through your doorbell what's outside. CPSS.net. And thanks to all our sponsors, R&R Construction, Style Cuts, uh, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Cleaners, etc. And today's our special Wednesday. We're very fortunate to have coming on with us on Wednesdays, our former U.S. Representative Ted Yoho, who was... Um, just a, a plethora of information and some of it you may disagree with us about. You may uh, discuss with us, debate us. We have the chat line open, not the phone line, but I see the chats and uh, we'll um, uh, converse about what is going on in America. We've kind of come to the conclusion there's a lot ailing the country and then we start discussing. And one of the things I sent Ted this morning before we went on the air were, if you haven't seen it, I get the Wall Street Journal online. I see it very early in the morning. And uh, our governor, Ron DeSantis, has a uh, piece in there, which I know he wrote, being a professor of writing, you know, for us uh, who uh, grade writing, it's like a fingerprint to us. We can tell you exactly whether the person wrote it or whether the person had somebody write it for them. Uh, and I notice I'm being pronoun correct there by having the plural for a singular antecedent. But um, this is this is Ron DeSantis's thinking. And it's published, curiously, in the, it, I think Wall Street Journal did it on purpose. Right next to it is an opinion piece by Chuck Schumer, which I went through and graded, uh, Ted, before we went on, and gave a, well, a gentleman's C minus two. It was pretty lousy. Um, but uh, I sent both these articles, I think, to Ted, and we've got another one. So what we're talking about now is, um, I think, if Ted goes along with me, um, this gubernatorial confrontation of a Disney special arrangement, which dated back to 1967, which the governor says really amounted to corporate welfare. Ted, did you get a chance to look that over, sir? No, I did. And I mean, that was probably the epitome or the textbook case of corporate welfare. When you see all the special carve outs uh, Disney received, all the way up to eminent domain, uh, where they didn't have to pay taxes on, on properties. On it. They, they benefited from infrastructure developments paid for by the citizens of Florida. But they, then they could go up and claim eminent domain. I mean, that was whoever, whoever wrote that legislation and put that together, I'm sure got rewarded handsomely. And that's the kind of politics that, you know, people really, you know, have a strong distaste for, as they should. And they need to throw those bums out. Of course, those people are probably dead and gone by now, but I'm sure their families are very wealthy from the payouts they got. Well, it sure certainly transformed uh, Florida. Uh, I was uh, yeah. here, right down the road from it, as a young man, and um, it just went from rural and cattle and agricultural and oranges and uh, all the things which I love about Florida uh, yeah. to this gaudy kind of tacky um uh, row houses of, of motels and restaurants. And I mean, to, from my point of view, it just ruined Central Florida and Kissimmee and all that area. But uh, I really didn't realize, of course, I was not sophisticated at that time, uh, the uh, special arrangement that this outfit had. As uh, DeSantis points out in this article, and by the way, listeners and, and uh, 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 viewers, if you're not aware of this, uh, Take a look at it. It's in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you can probably Google it later on if, the, if you're blocked from the journal itself because you're not a subscriber. But the title of it is going to be Why I Stood Up to Disney. And um, 
Disney, even as you know from reading this uh, well-written piece by the governor, that Florida's uh, building and fire prevention codes were even exempted for Disney. They sure um, were. Incredible. Well, they had their own government. They had their own government, per se. I mean, they didn't have to abide by anything in the state uh, state laws. They wrote their own. It was like having the Vatican in the middle of Rome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of that's comparable. <laughs> I don't want to make any comparisons. <laughs> we're, you know, we were just down in, in um, oh, heck, somewhere in that Orlando area, Universal Studios, to spend a night there, and that was enough. Um, you know, I, when you look at that, uh, that's not the kind of entertainment I like. And I know a lot of people come to Florida, you know, there's so much beautiful things that we could do. You know, I'm here on the St. John's River. We've got the Ocala National Forest. You've got Juniper Springs. You've got all these great natural attractions in Florida. You go down there and it's just so plastic. It's like Hollywood. You know, everything's, you know, everything's injected or uh, implants or <laughs> It, it, it ain't real, and uh, it's it's a beautiful property, but it's just it's all fabricated. And uh, that property, a lot of it belonged to the Parton family, and I know a lot of other families were down there, and they were uh, Florida pioneers. You know, huge in the cattle. I knew the Partons very very well, Earl Parton, uh, um, that whole family, because we, yeah. uh, my grandparents were from the, that area, and. Uh, the Parton Ranch went clear to the Yeehaw Junction practically. And, yeah, you know, there were real roundups, as you know, Ted, and they all were rounded up. It was open range, and, and they brought them up to Kissimmee, which was Cowtown. They had a great rodeo there, the Silver Spurs Rodeo. Yeah. And um, it was really – and we had the, uh, um, you know, the the Brahma cattle. They were hardy enough to take that Central Florida heat. Yeah. And uh, 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 so I knew Mr. Parton and all the Partons pretty well. Yeah, I knew him well. He had three daughters, and he always lamented the fact that he didn't have any boys. <laughs> and every one of those girls could ride now and uh, and, and rope and the whole bit. So uh, <laughs> and they were cowgirls. They were the real cowgirls, you know. And yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I knew him pretty well. In fact, sad story about that, Ted. Uh, years and years and years later, I went back down to St. Cloud. Of course, recognized none of it. When we were there, there was only one stoplight in the whole town. It was so quiet. And it was nothing if you went east all the way to Yeehaw Junction. Uh, the matriarch of the, uh, uh, Miss, uh, the old lady, Grant um, Parton, had a place on down deeper into the uh, central part there. I went out to see her one time. But um, this was all done on horseback pretty much when you got around. And um, I went down, and, and I couldn't find Ted. I could not find the Parton Ranch. There was so much development. I finally found it because the cattle guard was still there. Oh, yeah, the cattle guard was still there. And, cattle uh, guard Yeah, I mean, I, I just could not, you know, I, I just, to me, it was a great loss. But anyway, the, the further, the fundamental issue here, I believe, that uh, the governor's taking on is that uh, Democrats are using their nefarious influence over investments and usurping the fiduciary or putting pressure on these CEOs to abandon their fiduciary agreement with their investors. And one of the things I really praise the governor doing is stopping this because this would have stripped much of our Florida retirement system, Ted, of really sound investments if, you know, that pressure had come to bear on the people managing it. No, you're absolutely right. If you look at the returns for these woke corporations that have followed the ESG uh, investment guidelines, when you look at the returns, it's a losing proposition. But yet they're pushing an ideology over returns to the to the uh, people that own the funds or the stocks or whatever investment vehicles in. But the left doesn't care about that because you're pushing forward their ideological um, beliefs. And Sh um, Schumer, I know you're going to talk about Schumer's uh, counter ar argument, uh, which is pretty pathetic. I, I agree with you. Um, and so these corporations are influenced by the ESG wokeness. A lot of these people are, these ESG believers are getting on the boards and they're becoming uh, board activists or what they are on the climate, environmental and all that stuff. And, you know, I think everybody here on your show, we want clean water, air, and we want to pass on, you know, a better product than what we've received. And, um, 
you know, I think we all want to do that. And how, how best is it to do it? Is it through government regulations? Is it just through stewardship of being a good citizen or do you force people into this? And I, I think sometimes, you know, you're going to have a combination of that, but I don't need corporations pushing this stuff down our throats uh, and government assisting it, like through the Department of Labor, as you saw in there, and Schumer makes a weak argument. Well, they're free to do whatever they want, but the Department of Labor, when they're saying you, you need to look at these things, um, nobody wants to deal with the Department of Labor. And I did it when I was in Congress, and they were weaponized under Obama, and I'm sure they're doing it now. Well, let's skip over to uh, uh, Schumer's article for a moment here for the benefit of the people uh, listening. I have to think that the Wall Street Journal just opposed these because they're on the uh, opinion page side by side. And uh, I'll bet you, being good teachers, they put put up these documents for us to compare. You know, yeah. the comparison rhetorical strategy is the first one we uh, professors of writing teach people to do. And basically, it, it's fundamental to how we grocery shop, you know, we'll, or do any shopping. We'll compare the price of a product at store A to the price of the product at store B. And of course, what you find is the flaw in that strategy is what we call unfair comparison. Um, you're not really comparing the uh, apples to apples. And uh, and that's basically what Schumer has done. His title to his article, for those of you who are listening, and I recommend that you highly, highly recommend you get this, um, Republicans ought to be all for ESG. Wow. You can't find two more contrasting views side by side in a responsible document as a Wall Street Journal than this, I don't think, Ted. I mean, that's pretty uh, point counterpoint there. <laughs> that's pretty count pointy cut. And here's the opening line that got me. You know, the, the, the faulty reasoning is usually based on a faulty premise. And it begins with it. And he starts investing in a free market economy invo- involves choice. And I stop, hold it. Hold it. Free market economy? The very basis of our refutation of this is that you have tipped the scales. It's not a free market. It's not free choice. You don't get government subsidies for the electric car. Okay, there's a good example. If you don't play ball with the government, right? I use that example, that same example today when I sent this article to somebody and, uh, he wanted to know what it was about because he couldn't open it. And uh, I use that same example. It's not free. I mean, you're it. if you do it our way, you'll like it better because you'll have better benefits. But it's coming from the American taxpayers. So you're absolutely right. So I, I looked at that and I said, uh-oh, this guy is off on the wrong foot to, to begin with. Where did he ever get this notion? He's cheating the unsuspecting reader who doesn't know how to uh, examine or understand how a logical framework works. So I I marked that. I gave that an F, that sentence, uh, which is a very important sentence, Ted, because it's based uh what everything else that follows is based on. Um, he blames the Republicans. Of course, we have this... Um, um, sure. <laughs> ad hominem. We have this ad, yeah, we have an ad hominem attack here, which is a, 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 a logical fallacy where you set up this straw character and then use them to accuse them of everything. So right. it blames the Republicans for passing a bill that would reverse a Labor Department rule, recognizing that retirement fiduciaries may use, may use <laughs> ESG when evaluating investments. Hey, come on, man. Who are you kidding? May use. You mean yeah. shall use, don't you, my man? <laughs> That's what they mean. Uh, they put that in there to make it sound like it's a free choice. But if you don't do this, they're going to come after you. And, uh, you know, it's too bad when government gets involved in like this. And you got to remember who's writing this. This is Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer, the majority leader of the Senate, who is, if you'll go back to the Georgia race for Senate, the first go-around when Warnick uh, came in a tie with Herschel Walker, he, he said the same words are built on what Obama said, five days before Obama's uh, inauguration. And I'm going to come back to this over and over again, because this is really what's going on in America. Everybody, we get caught into the now. We forget what happened 10, 15 years ago when Obama says we are going to, we're five days from fundamentally changing America. 
So fast forward it to 2020, um, 12 years after, is it what? I forget how many years after uh, Obama got out, I guess five, four or five years, Chuck Schumer was saying, when we win these two Georgia Senate seats, we will fundamentally change America. So this is a continuation of fundamentally changing America. You get your ESGs in there. You get your Black Lives Matter. You get all this other stuff, the wokeness in the military. They are fundamentally changing America. We can't focus on what's happening today because it's a continuation of the problem. And the root problem is people want to change America. You know, it's not a perfect nation, but it's pretty damn good. But what they want to change it into ought to scare everybody because it is, it's, I used to say socialism, it's Marxism. It's straight out Marxism. And you can listen to Kamala Harris talk about, you know, in the campaign and, and since then talking about equity. We haven't done enough for equity. We want everybody to be equal. Well, it ain't going to happen. We're not equal. We're born equal in the lives of the Lord. But, you know, what we choose to do after that makes us unequal. <laughs> well, this is another sentence that I had to give an F to. Uh, so, so far, uh, Chuck Sumer is flunking Professor Warthog's beginning <laughs> writing class. Okay. And this man is the Senate, head of the Senate. This always perplexes me. I, I, you know, I just, it just is so. It's so embarrassing. All I have to do is see the writing, and I can tell you about the thinking. Uh, and here, here, the next paragraph, I have to go through it. ES, ESG opponents are trying to turn it into a dirty acronym. What do you mean, dirty acronym? You know, what do you mean, dirty? See, he's considering this to be, what he's really saying there, Ted, is I'm morally superior to you. Because I can sit in judgment of your use of the an, an acronym, which is blatantly unsupported. Where is he established his moral superiority to make this comment? He doesn't. He just assumes it, which is one of the characteristics of the left. They assume, the elite. The elite. Yeah, they yes. assume this moral superiority and then they're begin smarter. to lecture you from it. Yeah, They're, they're smarter and better than you. And um you know, that's that's the, the role model of the elite or the description of them. You know, you're not smart enough to know what to do. So we're going to tell you what you need to do or trick you into it. And the other thing, um, you know, this paragraph gets an F2. Um, he says ESG is just common sense. There you go. So common sense is equated with moral superiority. And the reason this guy uses that term in my humble opinion, which I'm never wrong, as you know. Uh, <laughs> the whole theory of the average man voting, is it not, based upon the belief that the average man can be his own king. Right. And, you know, and that is always tested at the polls. The average man really ranges in all sorts of, along the continuum from enlightened to not enlightened. And, you know, hopefully that is wrung out of the, voting process, although it's not now because we let anybody vote who can make a breath on a mirror. Uh, and there's no accountability for being even average. So uh, common sense is grossly misused. It's a term he doesn't define. But really what gets me in the next paragraph, America's most successful asset managers and financial institutions have used ESG factors to minimize risk and maximize their clients' returns. That's a that's a syllogism flaw. The, the minor premise doesn't follow from the major. Now, let me, I don't think I shared this with you. I ran across this after I uh, messaged you this morning. I found this uh, in Monday's February 27th Wall Street Journal. You may have indeed seen it already, Ted. Um, Vanguard CEO bucks the ESG orthodoxy. Right. This article is by Terrence Keeley, who uh, is the um, Beyond ESG to Impact Investing. This article directly refutes this comment by Schumer. Here's a CEO of one of the largest, if not the largest, um, asset investing groups, right? Who says you don't dare invest using ESG as a criteria. And it's all it's all spelled out here. 
He said, if you were to do that, you would be uh, violating your fiduciary, exactly antithetical to what this guy says, Schumer. You would be violating your fiduciary agreement to take care of your investors' money for the sake of political expediency. I'll rest my case on that, sir. I sorry. Well, you know, common sense, common sense is, well, number one, common sense isn't common. If it was, everybody have it. We know that's not true. Um, the other thing is, if you're going to use common sense to invest, you're going to want the best return you can get. Uh, the companies that are in the ESG mode, um, they're, they're, again, they're not, they're not doing that well compared to other companies or other investment vehicles. And so common sense says, why would I do this? And if you go back, Ward, and I know you'll remember this, the, the war on petroleum, remember um, Clinton and Obama, they were going to put the throats on the petroleum necks and, you know, they're getting all these subsidies. But when you look at it, there, there are really no subsidies. They get paid on underperforming wells because of the tax credits. And then they get the business uh, credits for investment. They get those. So those are the subsidies they get. So it's not money coming out of the taxpayers. Um, but if you'll remember that, these companies that were investing into petroleum companies says, we're not going to invest in these because they're bad for the environment. You know, that's one thing when you have uh, a fund says, well, you know, they're polluting the environment. So they can do that by themselves, and they have been doing that. And when you get a movement of an ideological movement that are put up by the elites, like you said, that we're going to we're not going to tell you to do this, but we're going to make the labor rules and all these other rules in these government agencies, um, the administrative states going to make life hard on you if you don't abide by these rules. That's basically what's going on here. So these companies do this in the name of doing it for green or uh, whatever it is. And it's not really the free market. It's kind of you, you, you might want to do this. You know how it is. You know, I'm not telling you what to do, but you might want to do this. <laughs> um, and that's what's going on here. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that we've gotten to that point in our country. You know, we're we're built on Adam Smith's um, um, the ideals he wrote in uh, what's the name of the book? Uh, it'll come. It'll come to us. And you know, it's it, it'll get it. We'll get it. Circle back. We'll get it. The wealth uh, of nations. Wealth of nations. Here's a chat line to get it for us. Um, it was wealth. Wealth of nations. Wealth of nations. Yeah. And the other thing that Schumer says in here, which he says with the. Absolute unabashed um, candor, I guess, for him. One of the things that you do if you are a good investor is you hedge against the dangers of a changing climate. What in the hell does that mean, Ted? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, our climate is changing. It has changed. And, um, you know, Somebody that's worked outside all of my life, basically, until the last 10 years, 12 years, uh, I, I, so I still work outside. I can't tell you it's any worse today than it was. Um, you know, and we talked about that uh, coral rock that's down in the Keys by our house that sits out of the water by about five feet. Um, you know, w we know the climate change. I mean, you can just look at things and it goes back to common sense. Um, you know, uh, they unearthed. Uh, earthworms at the North Pole are up in the Arctic Circle um, that they think were um, uh, have been frozen for like 40,000 years. Yeah. So. And so it tells me it was warm back then. And so I think the best thing we can do is adapt, you know, and be good stewards with the resources we have. Um, you know, I think of Obama and that administration putting the incandescent light bulbs out of out of business. We had to go to the fluorescent curly cubes. But yet industry came out with LEDs, and now you don't hear anybody talking about that. Let industry adapt. They're better, they're brighter, they're cheaper to run, and they're cooler. So, you know, I think if we allow the marketplace to drive these things and make sure that the marketplace isn't rape, raping and pillaging the environment or, you know, uh, communities, I think we'll move, we'll move ahead a lot better with a lot less burden on the American people and the entrepreneur. Because if you don't have people willing to invest, in a business, you can't grow an economy, you can't create jobs, and so you can't build a middle class, and that's what's exactly what's going on now. And you know, the other thing that um, to bring it home here to us locally, 
and I know you know this, look at how many of our Florida population in their retirement depend upon a healthy return from the investments of the retirement system in Florida because we have a COLA, a 3% raise every year. You've got to make at least 3% return on those investments just to guarantee the retirees those 3% COLAs. And the reason you have 3% COLAs is inflation's going at 6%, for God's sakes. You know, so we haven't even talked about that. Uh, uh, there's an art, another article which I've, you know, just, you know, I read, and I know you do too, you read as much as you can about what's going on, so we're informed. Um, people who are making, a couple making 80000 a year uh, right now, in an, an analysis I just saw a little bit ago, um, are falling behind, are yeah. falling behind. Now, just to give you a, a local example you're not familiar with, the netting around a roll of baled hay has doubled in price. Has it really? Doubled. Just the netting. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I know the, the, the farmers I talked to said they're paying $20, $25 an hour for people to fluff hay in the field. And then you add price of the diesel, price of fertilizer, if you can use it, probably not in Alachua County. Um, you know, it just drives the cost of everything up. And this is interesting because we had this talk over the weekend with um, somebody well who knows this area well. And he was talking about the cost of food and the shortage of food that we're going to see um, not just around the world, but here in America, you know, and you've seen it with the avian influenza uh, that came out and killed over 50 million chickens. And they had to euthanize a large percentage of those to put an end to it. Um, he says, that's just the beginning. He says, you are going to see food prices go up and shortages you've never seen before. And I think we're already seeing that. You go into a lot of these stores and the shelves aren't stacked like they used to be. And uh, it takes longer for them to replenish that and uh, throw a hurricane in there or some other natural disasters. It's we're in some um, uh, changing times for sure. And if you look at your box of cereal, it's only half full. So, um, you know, the box yeah, and it's smaller inside. You know, going back to this ESG, if you'll allow me, you know, this is kind of like companies that want to be so so-called green. Um, I went in, I, I don't go to Starbucks, but I happened to go in there and I got a bottle of water and I went to recycle it because they, you know, they're for the environment and all this wokeism. And, and I says, do you have a recycling bin? They said, oh no, we don't recycle here. <laughs> but their, yeah. their impression out there like, oh, we're here for this. And, you know, I get stuff delivered as everybody else does, I'm sure. And I'll say this product is packed with 100% recyclable. So a company will go on record, oh, we're about recycling and all that. But when it comes, it's in a cardboard box. It'll have uh, plastic uh, fluid filled, that's ice packs in there. So it's got the plastic, that's not recyclable. It'll have the foil in there, that's not recyclable. Uh, and so they, well, they're, they're, they're claiming these, these things that we're 100% recyclable because it sells good to the consumer, but they're really not. And I wonder how many of these companies that the ESG funds invest in are doing a shell game because they say they're recyclable, um, but they're really not. And I know that for fact because I'm working with a consortium on uh, waste circularity, and uh, it's a, it is a big, big problem. And uh, the companies will say they're doing it, but they're really not. It's it's well, absurd. Yeah, it's it's once again it's a. Um... Truth in advertising is <laughs> not quite there. You know, uh, um, they're not what they purport to be. And, and of course, to recycle, it would take an unemployee and it would take uh, more uh, containers to put that in. And somebody have to be in charge of that. And, um, you know, that'd be costly to the company. So obviously they're skating through that with pretending to be something they're not. But uh, the uh, generally speaking, these ESG uh, uh, companies are, uh, probably getting a good wake-up call. I'm sure they have kept their eye on DeSantis, and he has not backed down a single bit. His writing is so crystal clear. Um, it really was. That was a good article. Yeah, so crystal clear. Um, and he makes many, many good points. He says, uh, um, 
For example, a traditional court, his sentences are controlled and uh, a traditional corporate executive may have power within the company, but a woke CEO can use a corporate bully pulpit to exert influence over society. And, um, and you know, that is not even addressed by Schumer uh, in his right. He just skates by that. So what we basically have here is um, uh, um, pretty strong A for DeSantis. And uh, I don't even know if I give a gentleman's C to Schumer because he's deliberately cheating the reader. And usually I gave those papers Fs and made well, like, them. Yeah. Like you said in the beginning, he, he, he starts off on a false premise. Uh, it's the free market. No, it's not. Um, it's a <laughs> it's a lead market, you know, by my mandates. Do as I say now, you know. And so, you know, it's just it's it, again, it's just a political speak. Um, but going back to Ron Ron DeSantis, uh, here's a guy that pretty much came out of obscurity. You know, he was on the news a lot while he was in Congress. And then he came into Florida, uh, barely won the election against Andrew Gillum. And once he took hold of the reins, I mean, you can't deny what he's done for Florida, the way he's pushed back on the on, on these companies and uh, ideologies that want to really basically fundamentally change America. He's pushing that back and he's written a new book. Um, and, you know, he's got all the credentials to be the president and he's doing the things to run for president. And I think you're going to see him run. You know, I'm not a soothsayer. I'm, if I was any good at predicting, I'd be in Las Vegas. But I think he's the type of people that we need right now. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of what he's doing. He's doing a great job. And if he's willing to take this on, keeps his cool, there's no name calling, and he just comes out after it, matter of fact, um, I think we're in for some good days. Um, but I rest assured, the media, the left, the elites, they're all going to go after him and uh, try to make him out look worse than Trump in, in their eyes. Well, it's going to be pretty tough because he's got a lot of real solid credentials. He uh, sure up, does. Up and down the resume, real solid credentials. We're talking well, with Ted Young. We're talking uh, about uh, the state of America, and you're uh, willing to, uh, if you can, want to chime in here on the chat line. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. We're going to pay some respect to our sponsors. And be right back and give you the weather on the Ward Scott file. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Stop Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. 
Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward's Godfather. We're going to do Ward's weather report, compliments of Lewis Oil, Chevron. And uh, be sure to use fossil fuel. Come on, don't get jump on this bandwagon about the electric vehicle. They blow up. What the heck's the story here? Anyway, we are enjoying here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, really, summer. We could still be tricked. At least we're enjoying spring. I hope we don't get a frost because we've got um, grass growing and cattle heads down on the ground. And we need that because uh, that's nature. We don't need to be buying hay any longer than we have to. We've just been discussing the economics of that. Meanwhile, the United States of America continues to be, in terms of weather, rather schizophrenic. Out west, and boy, I tell you, if you love skiing, if you can get there, uh, the snow is up over the front doors of people's houses. Uh, it's the biggest dump, and hopefully it will help out the farmer in California. All that water will be badly needed in a place that's been environmentally goofy, letting its water, which usually was contained, run to the sea to save a salamander fish. I lie not. So it can stand this big snow. Uh, there's going to be big snow in New York City, uh, tornadic weather in the middle of the country as these air patterns meet. Meanwhile, we are still here enjoying pretty darn good weather, and we'll take it while we can get it. We're talking with uh, Ted Yoho now uh, on our Wednesday show, as we have been for quite a while. We certainly hope you're enjoying our conversations. Uh, you may, of course, chime in. I'm watching the chat line. We have a, a viewer who watches the show quite consistently. Uh, asked me a message last week to uh, see if we could ask uh, Ted. He seems to think that uh, at one point, in, and it always has been, ever since I can remember, a, a conversation about Puerto Rico being a state. And um, Ted, you were involved in that. And uh, tell us your uh, learning curve on that, if you would, please, to satisfy our great listener. Sure. Um, when I came to Congress, um you know, that, that's a vote that comes up all the time. And so we wanted to make sure that territory stayed within the United States. And I was on a resolution that supported statehood for Puerto Rico. Uh, when Jennifer Colon Gonzalez came in, she's the representative from Puerto Rico, and she asked if I would support that. And at the time, I said, yeah. Um, but then I went down to Puerto Rico, and what I found is all the street signs. Um, we went to some of the uh, national parks or historic areas. Everything was in Spanish, and I'm like, my wife and I were talking. I'm like, if this if this area wants to become a state, don't you think that things would be bilingual? And so we did a, a search when I got back to Congress through the um, uh, uh, Congressional Study Service. Um, and we asked, what is the fluency of English in Puerto Rico? And it was at 23% of the people in Puerto Rico could speak English. And at that time, I said, you know, I will not support this becoming a state. If, if they want to become, you know, encompassed as a state in America, shouldn't, you know, one of the requirements is that, you know, everybody is fluent in English. And I know some people are going to call your show and say it's racist or xenophobic. It's not. It's just going back to the, the stance that Theodore Roosevelt had, and I stand by this. You know, there is one America. You're either 100% American or not. There's one language. It's English. There's one flag. It's the American. Assimilate and become an American. And, you know, I will never change from that because I think if we get away from that, you know, um, you just divide your nation and you lose your national identity. And I know people on the left, the elites, the the uh, World Economic Forum, that's exactly what they want. They want nations without borders. And so I may have supported that early on, but then towards the end, I said no. Well, you know, um, uh, you're one of the guys who can change his mind upon investigation. That's uh, earmarks you right away as, as unusual. As evidently, a politician. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, evidently Schumer can't. He doesn't want to see, you know, so therefore he... Uh, makes obfuscate. Uh, yeah. Um, some people, our, our listeners are saying some people have been using this to attack DeSantis as well. Was he a co-sponsor of that bill? Do you remember? 
I do not remember. Um, you know, certainly that's in the archive somewhere. I tried to look it up, you know, when you gave me that information and I could not find it. I would have, it would require more research. And Ron could have been, but I, you know, you'd have to ask him or just do the research on there. It's in the record somewhere. Yeah. Well, you put your finger on the problem. And, you know, you know, apart from that, the, um, the financial malfeasance, if you will, of that place is, is, and the corruption. I know people who are Puerto Ricans who have left Puerto Rico right. because they just can't stand the political corruption. Well, and, and it's, and they're it, speaking it, as their homeland. Right. And, and it's, it, it's rampant today. And again, when you're new in Congress, you don't realize the amount of corruption. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you, once you learn, you're like, well, wait a minute here. We better put on our brakes here. Uh, my little wiener dog is barking. Um, <laughs> hang on a minute. There, I think he, I think he'll be quiet for a minute. You think he's quiet now? Okay. I didn't care. I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, so when you find out the amount of corruption, uh, because they had a problem with their electric grid, and they're buying, they're getting the source of their electricity was being primarily run on uh, a low quality diesel. And they had bought this diesel from Venezuela under Chavez. Um, I forget the name of the, um, uh, the agreement, but they were paying at a very high price, low quality diesel, polluting everything. And they were stuck into this. And so we were trying to get them to switch over to LNG. We started to find out firsthand about the graft that was in there and the corruption, and they did not want to talk to us, they being the electrical cooperative of uh, Puerto Rico. But we finally got into discussions. And, of course, when you have a hurricane like that came through there and just destroyed their electric grid, they rebuilt and they're, they're doing it better than they were. But it, it's the, the amount of corruption is in there is a lot like you see in Central America, you know, with the it's just the way they do business. And it's um, uh, I want to say it's not the American way, um, but sometimes I wonder if there is an American way anymore. Well, yeah, there's a lot I know of my heart. There. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about what now is becoming the American way. Um, what do you make of um, uh, this? um train fiasco. It's covered up uh, a lot with, uh, uh, if, if you can converse a little bit about that, because it's come up as a point of interest. Um, you know, in my mind, one of the things that has always been so is that the, the North is industrialized and has been hauling things on tracks forever. Right. But on the, other, on the other side of that, we have not maintained those rail beds. And I don't know exactly why we haven't. Um, We've also been transporting these chemicals by rail, but I think we also transport some of these by our interstate highway system as well, which is yeah. another disaster waiting to happen. Um, it is. Ever run across any discussion of this in Congress? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, the rails, when you look at the way they transport stuff, I mean, there's all those safety standards. And, you know, granted, accidents are going to happen. You're going to have people cross when they shouldn't, and, and a train hits them. We were on that train going to the Republican conference where a garbage truck pulled out in front of the train. Um, that's like a big dog, little dog fight, and the little dog always loses. And it, it didn't derail the train, but those things are going to happen. But when you have something like this with toxic chemicals that come in there, there's two things. One is, why did it happen? And that has to be found out. The other thing is the response of what happens. You know, those things are going to happen. And so the government needs to come in there. The right agencies need to come in there immediately and take care of that. And I think there is such a lag in here. And I think back of when Katrina happened and how the left and the media just attacked uh, uh, George Bush. But yet you don't see that with Joe Biden. And I don't want to make politics out of this. The important thing is, here's the situation. Let's deal with it. Let's do our investigation and then correct it for the next time. Instead of putting blame, let's just fix these things instead of trying to um, cover these up. Uh, the scary thing is there was the one right after that and then the one in Philadelphia. I think one was in Virginia and one was in Philadelphia. And then they found the unexploded pipe bomb. Um, 
I don't know what's going on. You know, I don't know if these are outside nefarious groups or just, you know, the people that want to create anarchy in our country. Um, but any of those kind of insults are, are something that we all need to take into concern. Um, as far as the road system, I know those things happen on the roadways. We see them on the interstate. And again, accidents will happen when you're dealing with that kind of transportation and the, the volume we transport. Um, uh, that's why pipelines, you know, as much as people don't like pipelines, they're the safest way to move a lot of that stuff. But, you know, people don't want pipelines. So, you know, this is one of the fallouts from not allowing stuff to be transported other ways. Well, I thought one of the most uh, distasteful public actions initially taken by Biden was to terminate the Keystone Pipeline. Oh, uh, I mean, that was absolutely the signal. Well, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You would think the commander in chief of our nation would do everything within their power, working with Congress, you know, both chambers, to build a better, stronger, more secure America. And by canceling that, took us from being energy secure and independent under President Trump to going out to these people that we don't want to do business with, um, Iran, uh, Venezuela, uh, to get oil and, and Russia. And it's just, you know, we've got the wherewithal where we could control that market. And it's not controlling it for power. It's just controlling for the best interests of the United States of America. And it would also further strengthen the petrodollar, which everybody trades in um, so much, although we're losing ground on that. I think 40% of Europe now trades in um, currency other than uh, the U.S. dollar. And this is a trend that is increasing. And a lot of that comes from weak leadership from the United States government. I got another issue coming up, and I mentioned this to Senator Don Fuquay. You may know him. He's retired, of course. About China buying farmland, he said he didn't realize it was going on to the extent it is. Um, I got a little story. I, don't, I can't remember. Pardon me if I told you last time we talked, but it was about the farm it sold for 12000 an acre. Did I tell you that story? Um, no. Okay. Well, I had a, I have farming families in the central part of the country there in Illinois in that area, and they had an older lady in the matriarchal part of the family. It was in rehabilitation, needed more money to take care of her. So they decided to sell 70 acres just of just farmland, nothing right. around. It's not going to be suburbia or anything like that. And they didn't know what they'd get. You know, they were just trying to get some dollars together to take care of her. They got $12,000 an acre for farmland for 70 acres. And, wow. and they were just stunned. And they called me and asked me, do you think, because they watched the show, they said, do you think China bought this? And I said, I don't know. I'll ask Ted Yo what he knows about China buying farmland. Um, oh, yeah. They're yeah. buying it all over. You know, they tried to buy that land in Florida for a monkey research center. You know, you use monkeys for usually some kind of pharmaceutical or viral um, um, research. And they wanted to buy that here in Florida. And hopefully that'll get turned down. And you look at the land they bought up in North Dakota. Of course, you know, they bought Smithfield Farms, which is the largest pork producer in America, the largest pork producer and processor of pork products. And, um, you know, those things go on and they're continually going on. And the thing people need to realize, and this is fact, when a Chinese entity comes to Florida or anywhere in the United States to buy land, number one, they have the blessings of the Communist Party. Number two, they come in to serve the Communist Party. They're not in here to grow our economy. They're here for reasons other than farming. And um, this is something that should concern everybody. And the, 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 the interesting thing is when a Chinese firm comes to America or if they want to list on our stock exchange, they don't have to divulge their finances because they claim it's a national security interest um, that they can't divulge. Yet our companies all have to do that, especially if they go to China. So it, it's a double standard. It's something China uses to their favor, and it's something that needs to be stopped and called out. Again, this goes back to when people ask me, what's the best way to deal with China? The best way to deal with China is to understand what their goal is, and their goal is to be the world hegemon in economics and military. 
Um, and what that means, the hegemon is they want to be the superpower uh, of the economy and the uh, military, and they're doing it. They're doing it very strategically, and we're watching it. Well, it's amazing to me that um, there isn't any congressional attitude toward this to uh, at least monitor it and bring it under control. Or, um, I, it just seems to be the philosophy that if you got something for sale, anybody can buy it if you got the money. Yeah, well, a, good, a, a good example is should we do that? I mean, will uh, China allow you to go into China and buy land? Uh, the answer is no. Um, you can you can lease the property, but you're not going to buy the land. You're not going to own the land. And there are no property rights in China like we see here. In fact, a large portion of the world does not have personal property rights. And I sometimes wonder if we do when you have rules and uh, rules on the, the books like WOTUS, um, you know, you can't control your property. You know, I'm in a subdivision and I've got to get a permit for this and a permit for that. I saw in one county to put a, a for sale sign up. <laughs> you had to get a permit if you wanted to put a for sale sign up for your boat. <laughs> you got to really? go down county and get a permit. So how much land rights do you have? Um, we talk about it. We talk about our freedom, but our, we're, we're falling way behind in the United States of America. When you look at the freedom index, it's, it's pretty scary. Well, we've got that hot button discussion here in the city of Gainesville which uh, I know you got to go in a few minutes. I don't know if you've been watching, but the uh, uh, legislation on auditing from the state of uh, Florida legislative organ uh, outfit has come down here and told the city of Gainesville, either get this thing under control or we're going to remove all of you. Uh, boy, that is music to a lot of our ears. Yeah, but how long has that argument been going on with GRU? You're talking about GRU, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a what is, fundamental part of it, yeah. What is it, $1.8 billion in debt? Oh. Yeah, $1.8 billion for a municipality of what? What's Gainesville? Latchwood County has what, 250, 300,000 people? Yeah, yeah. About 150 well, maybe for Gainesville. $1.8 billion in debt. But I remember that argument when we moved up to Gainesville, you know, in 70, what was it, 70, 77. And, uh, you know, they've been talking about that. And this is great politics because. It never goes away. They just keep talking about it. And they never <laughs> have a problem. And, and I've got to head out. I appreciate you letting me on, but I'm going to sign out early. Thank you. And appreciate your listeners. And if um, tell people if they want to bang me wherever they want to um, keep, keep the cards and letters coming. Okay, man. Thanks for stopping right. by, Ted. We'll see you soon, hopefully. Take care. And Thank you. Got another scheduled appointment. Uh, we'll see you, everybody. With... Okay, man. Talking with Ted Yoho here on Wednesdays uh, on the Ward Scott Files. Ted has another call, a Zoom call he has to go on to in a few minutes. So we're letting him uh, cut out a little bit early from class here. Appreciate all of his uh, contributions to your education as my students here on the Ward Scott Files. Um, we try to keep you uh, informed and keep you uh, up to date on some of the things that are controversial and 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 uh, things that are not so, just to kind of keep you on the ball. And hopefully you'll be a little more educated by tuning in. Um, I want to close out with um, uh, my favorite guy here uh, uh, who who writes for the journal, uh, and that is, of course, Jason Riley, uh, who is uh, making another argument. He He's a very good writer that you can't blame a crime on poverty. This is the big excuse that the left has got uh, constantly that, oh, my golly, he's a, not, he's a victim of uh, situations that you created for him to grow up in. What would you expect him to turn out to be? Uh, this is a gross illogical fallacy in rhetorical strategies, but uh, most people have not been through uh, Professor Warthog's rhetorical strategies class, so they may not catch all these things. But uh, uh, Mayor Eric Adams was uh, asking his state to rethink bail reforms. And, you know, in D.C., they have um, basically turn people back out on the streets, even though they've been arrested. They've got this enormously liberal um, criminology reform, if you will, that is always uh, tipped in the uh, favor of the criminal, not the victim. Uh, even when we've run across uh, um, the, the situation here with a voter beep, uh, the whole idea here in the state of Florida is you pay back your victims. 
um, that uh, you have ripped off before you can vote. And um, nothing ever comes up in the media about the hapless victim. You never hear the media say, and what about Mrs. Jones, who uh, automobile was stolen and she never got it back? Um, you don't ever hear about Mrs. Jones. So now we have uh, in, in New York, you know, everything in crime is going up. The number of shoplifting complaints in New York City alone rose by 45 percent in 2022 uh, to more than 63,000. And uh, the mayor of New York sees an obvious connection uh, that too many of his fellow liberal de Democrats willfully ignore. He has argued, this new mayor, that soft on crime policies are hitting the poorest communities the hardest, and not only in terms of public safety, but also economically. When I think read things like this, I, I begin to believe that maybe the pendulum is swinging a little bit. Um, the, um, the mayor said that when you do a real analysis in our pursuit of making sure people who commit crimes are receiving the justice they deserve, we can't forget the people who are the victims of the crimes. That's exactly the point of, of this uh, voting uh, stance that we've taken here in uh, the state of Florida. And the reason the uh, sexual predators never get their rights restored is there's no way they can pay their victims back. There's nothing they could do to ever pay their victims back. So they can never vote. So uh, the social justice advocates are always saying and arresting and prosecuting uh, lawbreakers amounts to criminalizing poverty um, and that you're criminalizing the poor. Um, but the crime is costing, in this case, the city of New York is costing them jobs and businesses. People are leaving. New Yorkers are unemployed. Uh, so they've got to do something about a mockery of the criminal justice system. And when you begin to see these sort of conversations taking place in a place like New York, maybe there is a little bit of the pendulum shift. Um, when you, as Jason Riley writes, when you look at poverty, the root cause of crime is, uh, 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 is, is not, uh, uh, poverty is not the root cause of crime. Uh, most poor people are not criminals. That's one of the easiest ways to challenge the logical fallacy of this position the liberals take. Um, that doesn't hold up. So um, the, the, the New York City is uh, maybe coming to their senses, and maybe when those conversations start in a place like New York City and with a black mayor like Eric, Mr. Adams who's there, uh, maybe there's some senses. We are, however, not necessarily on the ball here. You know that we just had a, a, a fringe group of people protest the reinstatement of the canines, Thank God uh, they were told to pound sand and get out of the area. They have the same hysterical, um, it, 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 you know, you can't find enough um, adjectives to describe how bad they are. You stand outside and hold placards always. So it's uh, uh, beginning to be um, clear that uh, uh, the, uh, also uh, what happens is higher prices, uh, decriminalizing theft increases the cost and opening of businesses, with particularly the mom and pop stores. Uh, they just don't get started and they can't keep going because they can't stand the theft. They can't take the loss. Even big uh, merchants like Walmart are really shutting down big box stores or else they're going to a new system where you have to enter um, a payment method in, the, in, in nothing's cash and you can't get out of there without having, first of all, prepaid up front. Pretty interesting stuff going on. Tomorrow, we're going to have a special treat. We're going to have Ramsey Samurai talking about Ukraine. And I have talked with him a little bit about the Ukraine situation, and I think you're going to find it particularly enlightening. Ramsey Samurai was, worked for President Bush. He was in charge uh, for the State Department in Condoleezza Rice. He knows his way around foreign affairs. He's agreed to come on the show tomorrow and talk about Ukraine. I've heard some of the comments. They're fascinating, and uh, you'll want to tune in for that and don't miss it. On Friday, we will have a guest professor from Hillsdale College. So we got a great show lined up for you this week. 
Take care. Warthog Command Center out.